Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Nice. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. My co-host, Susan Fox, the other host, can't be with us today because she is very ill. With us today are James Kerwin and Kate Brown. They are uh, the act. You know what? I'm going to let you tell the audience who, <laughs> who you are and why you're here. James, let's start with you. You're the director. Uh, so my name is James Kerwin. I am a uh, film director. I've done projects in the past, like Yesterday Was a Lie and RUR Genesis. Over the past several years, I've been um, a producer and director and writer on the very popular web series Star Trek Continues, and uh, the next project I have lined up is a short film called When the Train Stops. Mm, excellent. And Kipley, Kipley Brown. Mm -hmm. Hello, yes. Well, my uh, pedigree seems to line up strangely coincidentally with James's pedigree, uh, in that, yes, I have also worked on Yesterday Was a Lie, and Are You Our Genesis, and Star Trek Continues. Um, James and I have been sort of working together as creative partners for quite some time now, so that, that might explain it. And guess what? I have a role in When the Train Stops, the film that James is directing. Yeah, that's so excellent. really looking forward to it. Uh, we were talking before the show about uh, Star Trek Continues and Star Trek in general and all of that stuff, and boy, you both know a lot about it. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention that I was also on Star Trek Enterprise. Yes, I saw the pictures of that. That is awesome. Was so, your yes. was your character a, a recurring character or? or a... um, no, one episode. Okay. Uh, but, and James is going to argue with me on this and crush my dreams any moment now. Um, I appeared to the engineer trip in a dream. I am a dead. One of his dead engineering, uh, you know, one of the people in engineering died, and he has to write a letter to my parents. Oh, I remember. Okay. And I and he can't remember who I am, and I give him kind of a hard time about that. So I like to argue that I am the only red shirt in Star Trek history to speak after death. Oh. Yes. Now, James is going to argue with me because he's going to say, but you're not a security officer, you're an engineer person, and you have a first and last name, but yeah, I will that's live in my fantasy bubble <laughs> as long as I can. <laughs> now, I think, hmm, appearing after death, you know, I can't think of one. 
I I I think there uh, there might have been one or two episodes of of the Next Generation where um, I seem to remember the mother of a of a, a, a distressed child had died, and they re, the aliens recreated the the kid's family. Yes, as, and she's a hollow, but they weren't really stuff. them. She was a hologram. Oh yes, the mother. Yes, yes, she wasn't Starfleet. Yeah, oh, was you, she? Just, well, you just killed my dream. <laughs> I'm sorry. What, what, what division was she? What division was she? I don't remember. I think she. Um, I think because she, the colors were switched in next gen. The red shirts were yellow shirts, and the yellow shirts. Uh, you know, it's, that complicates matters even further. Yeah, that All does right. make things. I'm just saying. Take no, it away from me. Take everything. I, I am. The, I didn't say anything. <laughs> That's it. I'm. I'm storming off of this interview. <laughs> I'll be in my trailer. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll be in my 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 closet. <laughs> That's awesome. So tell me. Okay, uh, let's get back to when the train stops. Tell me a little bit more about the film and how all of this came together. Because this this sounds like a fantastic concept. Yeah. James, do you want to start with that? Yeah, sure. Um, so basically, you know, a number of us have been working on Star Trek Continues over the last four years. Um, and uh, a, a lot of us have, have gotten to be good friends during that process. A lot of us have gotten to respect each other as professional colleagues during that process. And um, it kind of felt weird now that the show is coming to an end because um, our final episode is is, is uh, coming out on uh, November 13th, and then that's it. And uh, so it felt a little unusual to kind of, for the band to be breaking up in, in, in a sense, you know. And um, Kipley and I have a couple other projects that we're, you know, planning, working on in the future. Um, but um, one of the... Uh, a couple of the people who are associated with Star Trek continues, Michael Forrest, who played Apollo in the original series, mm-hmm. prized his role in STC. His wife, Diana Hale, and her sister, Bernadette, uh, is, a, is a writer, is a, is a, is a screenwriter. And um, so they developed the short film concept and approached Lisa Hansel, who is the producer and makeup supervisor on Star Trek continues and also a good friend of, of, of this whole group and said, hey, would you be interested in coming on board to produce and make up supervise this short film that we're getting off the ground? It's a kind of a Twilight Zone-esque um, uh, psychological story. And uh, Lisa said, of course, I would love to do that. And, I, and she said, mm-hmm. let's bring on James Kerwin uh, to direct it because I've directed um, the plurality, uh, I guess, of the Star Trek Continues episodes. And then there were other team members as well, like uh, John Delancey who starred in episode nine of Star Trek Continues. We brought him on onto the project. Vic Mignana, of course, who plays Captain Kirk in Star Trek Continues and executive produces the series. And, and for any next-gen fans, John, Don Delante is, uh, played Q in The Next Generation. Right. Just want to mention yes. that. Yes. And then finally, over my uh, – I mean, I, I vetoed this, but my veto was overridden. Um, Kip, Kipley was cast in When the Train Stops. But <laughs> I lived to oh, torment Jay. Uh-huh. I went up to Lisa and I said, cast me. Cast me so that I can torment James on the set. <laughs> and I was notified about it after there was, there was little I could do. <laughs> no, James, you'll never be rid of me. <laughs> But no, seriously. So yeah, so we we got like the, this this group together mm-hmm. of people that we thought would be good for this particular story. 
Um, and uh, we're going from there. Do you think that the synergy can sometimes be more important than the project? Because it seems like this whole thing happened because you were already a creative family and that that energy was going to barrel forward no matter what. And it was going to carry you along with it wherever you went. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, of course, always you have to have the best interest of the project in mind. Of course you do. Um, of course you but, do. But, but when you work on, when you work on any given project and you make creative connections with people, mm-hmm. it's, it's not at all uncommon to continue working, um, with the same person or people over time on, on many projects when you realize that you connect that way, you know, creatively, artistically on the same page. So yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, because, uh, very frequently, I mean, what happens with a show or a, a, a creative group is that there's some magic there. There's some lightning in a bottle that just happens. And sometimes it happens with the pro- the project and it rubs off on the crew. And, uh, you know, which is, I think, what happened with uh, Star Trek Continues. And then that crew becomes a family and carries that mana with them onto the next thing they do and the next and the next. And, uh, it just keeps going and it keeps, it's a self feeding cycle and the magic just has a life of its own after that. Absolutely. I love, I love being a part of something like that. It is magical. You're right. When, when it happens, you know, because in general, you know, filmmaking and television, creating television, it doesn't have the best reputation all the time. Hollywood. No, no, it sure does. You know, it is. It can be a highly competitive thing, and you can get people with whose egos seem to take over, and you know, and that's what was so special about Star Trek Continues is that there wasn't that because everyone was there to do something they they love and not do it for money. So you know, Star Trek Continues is a not for profit production because that's that's what's necessary to be able to make a fan film. Uh, as long as you don't make any profit off of, of CBS's intellectual property, then, you know, yeah, by their graces, go uh-huh. we. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, it's, it's a labor of love. And that has extended to, to train, the train movie. And when we say train, what we really mean is when the train stops. Right. So don't. <laughs> it's right. It's not just. Movie. Yeah. It's not just train. It's when the train no, stops. It's when the train stops. Mm-hmm. Um, Dot com. Dot com. It's uh, striking to me that all of this happens. You know, it it seems to all happen for a reason. But what really gets me is that the magic that you bring to the project. You know, when you have a really good team, uh, it it fills the project up, and people can see that magic uh, radiating when they watch. When they watch the new project, it's got its own life after that. And people, pick, yeah, people pick like up on that. Um, it's like, it's like you were saying, you know, uh, 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 narrative entertainment doesn't necessarily have the best reputation in Hollywood. Uh, and it's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of negativity associated with it, but it doesn't have to be that way. And filmmaking for the joy of telling the story is what is missing in so much of it. And if you have this in When the Train Stops, you really have something. 
And I, I think we do. I think we do. I mean, Lisa is the one who, who kind of wrangled James and I along, even though we know Michael Forrest and Diane Hale, but she really, you know, her passion and their passion has rubbed off on, on, on me. And it, it's like, can't wait to make it's You know, it's very sort of Twilight Zone-esque in its style. Yeah. It's a short film. And it's, it's I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want any spoilers here, but we're still in the midst of raising money. On an in, on Indiegogo, we have an Indiegogo campaign for when the train stops, and um, you know we've had some. We have to fill out the rest of it before we can go into production. So if anyone out there has a few extra dollars lying around and wants to throw them at when the train stops, we mm-hmm. promise to deliver you a terrific, very very cool, psychologically thrilling short film. Yeah. And there's a, you can just go to whenthetrainstops.com and that's, there's a direct link to the Indiegogo campaign there. And there's, I mean, of course, there's anything from like the tiny, you know, the tiny perks for the, the small donations, which, you mm-hmm. know, uh, I think a lot of the people give, which is great. I mean, the, the, a lot of small donations adds up, you know, so don't ever think that people shouldn't think that they can't give enough. Any amount is enough, you know, and uh, then there are bigger ones you can get. You know, as the perks, you can get a Skype call with Kipley or me, or I believe there's one with, with Vic as well. And uh, so, yeah, there's all sorts of things. Producer, you know, producer positions, mm-hmm. uh, 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 day on the set, all sorts of stuff. So, And they may not tell you this, but if you donate $12 billion, <laughs> you get to keep my soul. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Wait, you told me it was fourteen billion. Yeah, the so, price went down. <laughs> <laughs> so I may be thinking way too far ahead, but uh, you know, Star Trek continues has been so popular and has won so many awards uh, over the several years that it's been in production, and now you have the same a lot of the same people working on when the train stops. And this is a short film. And what if it weren't a short film, but a series of films that all sail under a common banner like Star Trek Continues did? That's an interesting notion. I like the sound of it. I mean, why? You know, you've got, if you have the magic working for you, and you clearly do. Why the hell not? Bart? Yeah, absolutely. I it's mean, something to think about. If this goes, totally. and I think it's going to go well, I think you should consider this. Yeah. If it happens, you hear to hear first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get the credit. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, I'd love. You know, I I wrote episode nine of Star Trek Continues. That's right. You are a screenwriter. Um, I am. Yeah, I wrote. And which, what's the title of that episode? What Ships Are For. What Ships Are For, which I have not seen yet. We are, <laughs> we are four episodes, we're four episodes behind in our Star Trek Continues binge watching. So, uh. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a, I, I like it. I think it's a, it, it calls back to a lot of the classic track setups. Mm-hmm. Like there's um well I wrote it so that with some of the stuff that Star Trek Continues has touched on we we just touch on it a little bit more like the relationship a little bit of the banter between Spock and McCoy, um, but the actual theme of the episode is very relevant to current times to the to the current 
world situation. And like the original series did with episodes like Let This Be Your Last Battleground or Private Little War, and Private Little War was sort of a analogy, I guess, a little bit for Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And rather than like sort of have a moral stance, like this is the right thing and this is the wrong thing, Gene Roddenberry wanted Star Trek to present both sides and let you decide for yourself. And yep. so that's what, but what we tried to do with episode nine. And that's actually kind of what the Orville is doing as well. I, I've yeah. been, I've been watching the, the classic Orville. next gen style. Yeah. It's, it's very much, it's Star Trek, the next, next generation with the serial numbers filed off really. And a little bit more like, like witty banter. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, well, like normal people talk in Star Trek, the next generation, um, uh, the characters were complex and they were interesting and they all had broomsticks up there. Did I say that? I can't, I'm going to have to bleep my, I'm going to have to bleep myself when I, I think this. it might've been the uniforms that, 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 that were uncomfortable in their, you know, fanny you know, area. And I tried, I, uh, in the, in the, after the first season, I did a cosplay of, uh, Picard's uniform and, uh, you know, the, the, the basketball jersey onesie thing. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, you know, it, it, it's form fitting and it's, it's nice until you realize that all of that tension is going through air, delicate areas. Right up and, the center of your body. <laughs> right. And, uh, you feel this incredible compression problem. At first, I th I'd heard that those costumes were painful to wear, and, and it wasn't until I wore one that I realized what they were talking about. Hence the broomsticks. Now you yes. understand. Now I understand. Yeah. And I think by second season, they'd switched to pants and shirts, you know, and the tunics mm -hmm. and the, 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 that famous tug, the Picard maneuver. Yes. You know, <laughs> where he'd grab his shirt. I love it. And, and I love that the actor, you know, that's a great actor who can turn a costume issue into a character trait, you know? So great. I love that. Because he would use it when he was like kind of nonplussed about something, you know, or was determined. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. It, that was, that was really a pretty good. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, wow. That's, that's that. I, I play a character um, in the train movie called Karen Blake. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to work out some way to do some sort of a costume tug. Sorry. Sorry, Lisa and Michael and Diana, but this is happening. There's going to be a, a, a signature. <laughs> an <laughs> an, an affectation. Maneuver. <laughs> yes. Maybe it'll be something like, I don't know, Carol Burnett. Maybe I'll tug my ear, you know, to, mm -hmm. to say, hi, mom. You know. It could be uniform. It could be something else. Something completely inappropriate to the film. Sorry, guys. Mm -hmm. Well, and this is <laughs> this is one of the great it. things. This is one of the great things about working with a cast and a crew that that gets along. You get results that you hadn't expected because the people who are working with you add things that you hadn't thought of. And I was yeah, I hate that. I hate it when actors do that. That's <laughs> totally inappropriate. He just likes to order you around. He has a whip. It's my. I'm the director. I'm going to tell her what her affectations are going to be, and that's not it. <laughs> no creative <laughs> expression whatsoever on your part. Be a tool. That's correct. Okay, I think. But he's, the truth I think of he's that kidding. is that that 
having worked with James, I can say with a good creative team that you trust, I feel free. Someone is making some food. Sorry. <laughs> All right. I'm going to have to Sorry. take that one again. So, so with, like with James and on the Star Trek continue set, what you're mm-hmm. saying, Gene, is that if with a good, a good group, you feel, A, inspired to try things, and B, you feel free to try things mm-hmm. and see if they work or if they don't. And, you know, that's how I've always worked with James as an actor. That's why I, I, one of the reasons I love working with him is that I can try things and, and he'll be like, oh, wow, that was great. Or else more than often he'll be like, no, no, no. But, you know, I can uh-huh. still try. Yeah. And that's, and, you know, the few times it works is great. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And yeah, no. we have that with train as well. We have that with when the train stops. I, I mean, mm-hmm. so there will be that sort of freedom to, to fill out the role. And it's not just. So you're at the beginning of your uh, your crowdfunding cycle. What what point are you at with this in terms of well, uh, getting your crowdfunding going? It, it just started on Monday, actually. Oh, just started um, on Monday. Oh, yeah. So there's only been um, a few days of it. So we're just getting – the train is just starting to leave the station. We're <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we're not there yet. And when it stops, hopefully there will be money in the Kickstarter. <laughs> so and, and and I know that Lisa and and Diana have uh, um, uh, some private uh, donors who had been lined up beforehand. Mm-hmm. So there is a significant part of the budget that's already there. Um, so the the uh, Indiegogo campaign is to fill out the remainder that we're going to need. Um, oh, it's Indiegogo. So that's, that's wise. That's wise because uh, with Kickstarter, um, this is for the listeners. It, if you do a Kickstarter campaign and you don't make your goal, you don't get anything. That's correct. And with Indiegogo, if you uh, if you make part of your goal, you get to keep it. Now the danger is that your supporters will expect you to follow through, whether you have enough money to finish or not. And that's the danger with Indiegogo. Is is oh, so if we don't, so we can't take the money and go on vacation to Rio. Yeah, that's kind. Oh, that's, that's what they said we could do. That's kind of off the table. You know, and it, it's so true because, you know, that's that's what kind of burned the world of, of, of Star Trek fan productions is is there was there was a, a maker of fan films who did mm-hmm. something very similar to that. And that's what kind of made CBS go, hey, not on our watch. Yeah. Well, what I know what you're referring to, you're talking about uh, the ill-fated production Axanar. Correct. Uh, which um, they had cast Richard Hatch in a primary role. And before they could sh- finish shooting the thing, because of all the lawsuits, he died. And now their director's left. And uh, it's they've, they've had a lot of problems. Uh, some of their well, they, problems. They violated some of the good graces. Well, they did. And the difference, I, I think what happened... And uh, I might get some email from Al- Alec Peters about this uh, because he's a friend of mine. You know, I know him. Uh, but uh, I think what happened is there's a difference between what the what CBS will tolerate, you know, in terms of its control of trademarks and copyrights, and what the fans will accept in terms of moral and ethical behavior. And the uh, the legality 
of what a charity organization is. People don't realize that a 501c, a 501c3, uh, if you run one, you can take a salary. And so can half of the people who work for you, no more than that. But for example, San Diego Comic-Con is a 501c3. They do 16 to $20 million worth of business a year, but they're still a charity. Now, if you do business that way, when you're making fan films, people don't like it. It violates the, it violates the unwritten code of, uh, of fandom, which is you do it for the love of it, not because you're getting a paycheck. And that's where Alec Peter got himself jacked around backwards on this and, uh, used, um, used a lot of the money. And I can say this because I'm the host and you're the guests <laughs> and you're not responsible for what I'm saying. Uh, but, uh, uh, this, this is where he crossed the line and he, he spent money on, uh, his own production company, um, setting it up and, and did things in, ways that looked non-transparent to a lot of people, including CBS, you know, so this, you, you guys are nowhere near that territory. You've never been anywhere near that territory with Star Trek continues, obviously. No, uh, I mean, everything you see, every, all the money that was donated to Star Trek continues, you can see it on the screen and that's how it's going to be with when the train stops. You mm -hmm. will see that money on the screen. Exactly. Absolutely. With love. With absolute love. Well, the genre. and when it becomes the success I know it will be, and you go on and say, okay, we've got this proof in our hand that we can do this and we can make more of these things, you can, at that point, and when the fans realize... This is original stuff. They're making original creative stuff. This is no longer about being fans of something and making tributes. This is now about making new wonderful things that we can be fans of and we want to be a part of it. And now you can get paid. Yeah, and, and, and blaze, blaze some new trails. Yeah, and it's at, at that point it becomes ethically okay to be paid to do it. <laughs> In my opinion, yeah, when you're officially hired and things like that. But, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know if you feel this way, Gene, and I know that James agrees with me on a lot of this. I feel like the science fiction genre of film and television has been largely hijacked by major CGI explosions and just superficial storylines with with bad character development. You know, it's all the all the, the flashy robots shooting things with absolutely no good plot pew, underlying it. Pew, pew. It's, got, it's gotten a it's bad all, name as yeah. like being really cheesy mm -hmm. or really dumbed down. In no, order I, to have the I, I completely agree with you and I've spent most most of my life doing those the very effects that you're talking about. And I agree with you. It's a crutch. It can be a crutch. And uh, the studio execs think, oh, well, it has these unusual traits. It's these unusual traits that make it sell well. No. 
<laughs> it's the unusual traits that get people's attention, but it sells well because right. it's a good story. You don't replace story with that. Well, yeah. and here I go, James. It's going to so roll his eyes right now because um, he's heard this before. But we'll just start by saying probably my favorite movie of all time. This is not the most intellectual choice, but still is Alien. I think that's a masterwork of a film. Oh, I, I, I have to agree and, with you. I and I loved agree. Aliens as well. But mm-hmm. Alien was oh, just beautifully crafted story um, and the acting, everything about it. Well, I just saw, you know, a few months back, I saw Alien Covenant. Mm-hmm. Well, Ridley Scott. And that is an example. Mm-hmm. I think that was like too many cooks spoil the stew. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that Ridley Scott was overridden on a lot of stuff. And they said, yeah. let's put all the flashy, shiny things in there. Let's get more explosions, more ships breaking up. Ooh, can we have a naked couple in a shower get attacked by an alien? Yeah, let's do that. That'll be cool. That'll be fun. And they completely just watered down any kind of meaningful story development line and plot. And there were so many plot holes and mm-hmm. good actors. Everything was in place. You know, I always say this. What's the cheapest thing about a movie? The script. Yep. It's the it, a, they, a good script. have to go. Yeah. And, a good script. And it probably costs, started out as a good script. But yeah. then you got. Uh-huh. The, the the money people coming in to no, we need more more flashy things, and they they really just don't give the you know the public enough credit for intelligence. Saying yeah, we like explosions and cool effects, but hey, we need a little bit more. You you can have mm-hmm. that stuff, but don't make it take away from the story. It has to augment the story. It cannot replace it. Well, and this is why I enjoy Star Trek continues so much, and the work that you have been doing, both of you have been doing with it, uh, because. Those are the most strongly story-centric examples of science fiction I can remember uh, seeing in a long time. And that includes a lot of the stuff that's coming out commercially, you know, the main, the, uh, the mainstream licenses for science fiction. Uh, Star Trek Continues has a lot more artistic integrity uh, than these commercial productions do. You know, and, well, thank and you. yes, thank you. That's yes. <laughs> I mean, I can't take credit for, you know, James is the, is the um, story editor of the show and has written many episodes in, in addition to directing and all kinds of other stuff. So, um, you know, James and Vic and, and the production team. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, just, you know, I will take a little credit for episode nine, but still, um, but that's why, you know, you ever, I mean, you ever wonder why. Of all the 60s, here's this one, this one that was on for three seasons, and it is still making its impact on the world. And it's because of the stories. This one is still going. It's still making its impact on the world. It's still spreading out. And there, you know, it's because of the vision of Gene Roddenberry and the stories, the characters. It was all about the characters and the stories. And, they, and there were special effects, and you know, for the time they were top notch. We may laugh at them now, but but you know, I think that that was part of its, you know, everything. Um, formula is a good story, good character development. With if you want to have a good budget with good effects, great. Mm-hmm. But it seems like a lot of Hollywood has forgotten about the original, like almost Joseph Campbell formula of storytelling. Oh gosh, yes. Now I, they're just I agree they're with you. just throwing shiny 
balls of special effects at you and, and <laughs> explosions and, <laughs> so, you know. So, James, uh, how effects heavy is when the train stops likely to be? Uh, well, when the train stops really isn't, it uh, doesn't really have any visual effects. Um, it's, it is not, uh, a visual effects heavy. It's not that type of science fiction story. Um, like Kipley was saying, it's more of a of a Twilight Zone kind of story character based science fiction twist. Um, it's uh, set in the modern day American Southwest. Uh, kind of has like a Longmire feel to it, I guess, if you could make a comparison. Um, but it is uh, it's it's not a visual effects project. And and ultimately, you know, I love visual effects when they enhance the image, when you can do something that you couldn't do otherwise um, budgetarily or logistically, like expanding a set or cleaning something up here, cleaning something up there, green screening, you know, an exterior outside. But I, I feel like it's gotten to the point now where there's nothing you can't do with it. So audiences are no longer impressed. There's no longer a sense of awe. There's no longer a sense of, wow, look at that. That's an amazing thing that I just saw on screen because you know they can do anything. <laughs> it's like playing a video game. So I, I really do prefer to do projects with a minimum amount of visual effects, if at all possible. That makes sense. Uh, and you brought up something that I hadn't thought of, which is that audiences are now inured to the new Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when you go to film school, one of the things you learn, you, you learn about all of the, the concepts in film theory, persistence of vision, suspension of disbelief, how, how it, if you really study, um, which I've spent a lot of my time, both in school and in my career doing, if you really study the science of the way audiences perceive film and filmic images, um, that kind of fourth wall, the, 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 the sheet of muslin stretched between the audience and what they're seeing on screen is very important. That's why frame rates are so important. Um, and and when 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 basically the concept of suspension of disbelief, if if you're just if it's just a blanket thing, you're just suspending all disbelief because you can see anything. It doesn't matter. And like you said, you you just get inured to it. I think there's something special about seeing something that you never. You not only never imagined before, but you never imagined that you could actually see it before. And that is is gone that's that's i mean we're very past that level if you look at science fiction films from the 60s for example um you know you're seeing these these amazing visuals like how did they do that that's incredible and part of the thrill of it is thinking wow i never thought i would be able to see an image like that captured on film like in 2001 or something the moonscape you know i never thought i could actually see that with my own eyes and it's how did they do that that's amazing and that sense of awe I think is gone now and it, it's never going to return. Um, so I think the answer to that is, you know, focusing on more character and story based science fiction. And, and I really hope that that's the direction the industry goes in. The film industry in particular goes in over, over the next decade or so. You know, I was really encouraged by Blade Runner, the new Blade Runner. I have not seen that yet either. And I really, really want to. Because I won't give you any spoilers, but I will say that, yeah, it has copious special effects in it, but they are all in support of the story. Yep, it's not just exactly. effects for the sake of effects in your face. Exactly. So they do create a whole new world with these effects 
that do not detract from the characters in the story. So you, you can have both, you know, as long as one supports the other and does not act like a, a shiny frosting on the cake that's supposed to make it taste better. And really, it's mostly frosting and no cake. You know, yeah, like shiny uh, keys, jingle the keys, and Kentucky Fried Chicken had these uh, family dinners, and you could get your choice of dessert. And one of the desserts was a little chocolate bunt cake with white icing. And uh, so I got this, you know, for my family once, and uh, I got the chocolate bunt cake. And we sat down, and we had dinner, and we had the decided to slice up the chocolate bunt cake, and I thought. Gee, this white drizzle icing tastes just like chalk. It tastes like (laughs) chalk. And so I looked at the ingredients on the box, and it said that the icing was made of calcium carbonate. Chalk. Chalk. (laughs) It was was literally chalk. They had put chalk (laughs) on this cake to make it look good. It looked good. The, it just it was not. So you, oh you, you had a big God. bite of Alien Covenant right there. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> no, what you, James, what you were saying earlier, the wow of special effects uh, is is kind of gone, uh, and that we we won't see that again. I'm I'm not so sure that's true, but I think that the wow is going to come from character development and character revelation. In science fiction, I don't yeah. think there. I agree with you. I don't think there's any room for uh, for the wow factor in computer generated visuals because, as you say, you can you can create anything now. But uh, uh, the wow factor is, I think, is still available. Uh, but it's got to come from the characters now, and that means that smaller, less technically ambitious shows can have a a chance to stand out and shine. Or even, I I completely agree, or even, you know, another issue with the the kind of explosion of CGI and visual effects in films today is that less and less, I I have noticed as a director, that less and less attention is being paid, in some cases, to... Um, shot, shot composition, compositional elements when you're doing CGI. And that is another great example. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 is another great example of that because Roger Deakins, probably the greatest living cinematographer, shot that film. And he literally, every single CGI element, every single visual effect in the cityscape, in Wonder Movie, he painstakingly crafted out as not from a CGI thinking kind of point of view, from the point of view of shot composition. And he literally, like, like if a neon sign is going by and letters are going by, like, which letters go by at which moment of the frame as a person is walking this direction and the camera's moving this way, all of that stuff was planned out. And that's why it works so well. <laughs> because the CGI enhances the story, it enhances the artistic feel of the directing and the cinematography and the shot composition. So I think that's another element that... Directors need to pay very, very close, close attention to because the wow factor can still be there if it's well directed. I don't know any other way to put it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if it's well shot, even though it's not really shot, it's CGI. But, you know, and I think that's something that has been lost as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, I mean, I think the only other wow factor, maybe like for me. Is is well, like you said, James, there are things that you didn't even know you could imagine seeing. And there are still still creatures or. Uh, things that no one has imagined yet. 
And when those are imagined and seen, I think there's a wow factor. And like, I really challenge the science fiction community to give me a good alien that is not a humanoid or B insectoid. Mm. You know, I'm, give me a, cause all the aliens are like insects now. And well, there was I'm, a movie called attack the block that mm-hmm. had a great alien that was neither of those things. Well, and uh, I think the last noteworthy example of that is Species 8742 from Star Trek Voyager. That was awesome. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. They were tripedal. They were just as alien as, it, well, they were really alien. The conceit that all aliens are bipedal and bilaterally symmetrical, it, it, it's a convenience, of course, because... It's very hard to dress up a human as something other than a human and not have it look like a human in a suit. You know what another one I would say? The Alachi from Star Trek Enterprise. Those guys were creepy as hell. Remember that episode where they, and they, they don't, they don't even communicate. Like there's no way they don't use language. There's no way for them to even talk to them. And they just like had, you had passing glimpses of them in the shadows when the, like, like the flashlights passed over them. And they existed like in subspace and stuff, and they kind of fluctuated in and out. Remember that one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. They were that. Yeah. I, they were very I different. Loved that episode. Yeah, it's so different that literally the only way the Alachi could even communicate with Archer would be to send him back his own messages with the words cut together in a different order. <laughs> Remember that? See, now that's like, and that's the well factor because yeah, they create something you haven't seen before. Exactly. And I love insectoid aliens because I love alien. But it's like Alien kind of started that, you know, Geiger kind of started that trend where it's the scariest way to make an alien. If you want to have this sort of non-human scary thing, it it looks like an insect in somehow some yeah. fashion. Um, well, but that and, sounds terrifying. Uh, and again, I, have, I encourage everyone to see the movie Attack the Block. Um, it's a really good movie. And wait for the aliens because it's cool. They're not your typical alien. I was so proud of that back when I saw it. I was like, yes, someone gets it. That is awesome. I think, I think Norm MacDonald on the Orville is the best alien design of all time. Well, Jabba the Hutt was very similar. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Norm MacDonald, which... Uh, He's is, the blob. He's the yellow oh, blob. Oh, yeah, Yafitz. <laughs> Yafitz. Yeah, the alien... Yeah, yeah, his name is Yafitz. You know, yeah. he's, the, he's like, the, he's like a, a cousin of Jabba the Hutt. Best-looking pile of cat puke on television. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's awesome. It's, it's uh, you know, I would love to have both of you back for another show at some point. Sure. Uh, you know, maybe I, I just as an as an excuse, you know, like further on in your Kickstarter to to help keep the flame going. But uh, you both know a lot about science fiction and Star Trek in particular, and I this is just fun. This is well, just you know, we can't, thank you, and, and and that's you know, Kipley and I have very similar backgrounds in, in that, in that we kind of just we we grew up watching science fiction. You know, she grew up watching Star Trek. I grew up watching Doctor Who. I got into Star Trek a little later, but um, and then both of us, career wise, just kind of fell. In. I mean, like I never set out to be a science fiction director, but it just turns out that everything that I wind up doing <laughs> is science fiction, or at least has an element of science fiction in it, you know, because it's, it's an amazing genre that can shed light on the human condition through metaphor from the outside. And it's really the only genre that can, can do that. And so I think that's why, that's why she and I are both so drawn to it, you know, and we just wind up keep finding ourselves continuing to do it. 
After and not all, minding, not minding one bit. After yeah. all, if not to illustrate a point, what's a metaphor? What? But I've done. Yeah, I, I can cut that one out too. I understand. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for having us, and and thank you for letting us um, talk about when the train stops. At this, yes. I really appreciate you coming by to do that. I'm really looking forward to seeing what you guys are going to do with this. This is going to be so good, just because of all the people who are involved with it. It's it's uh, it's got all the earmarks of being wonderful, and I can hardly wait to see it. Oh, you know, when it's when it's all done, I can hardly wait to see it. You're putting a lot of pressure on the director right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, you want this to be good? Oh, man. No one told us that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. No, but seriously, yeah, Indiegogo. Go to whenthetrainstops.com. Click through to the Indiegogo campaign. It's got about – it just started this week. It's, it's only running for a month. So do not delay. Hurry up. And Because um, there's only a limited number of perks for, for – for so many things. And if you want a Skype call with Kipley and I, you know, I mean, you got to get on that now because those are going like hotcakes. I'm telling you, they're going to. <laughs> yeah. Well, and just as importantly, if you, if you donate to when the train stops, when this, when the train stops.com go there, uh, and use that link to find the Indiegogo campaign. If you do contribute, or even if you don't contribute, tell at least two other people, you know, exactly. Exactly. Tell at least two other people you know, preferably three, and tell them about this. Get on Please. Facebook and and send them the link in in a private message, or post it on your wall. Anything that you can do to help, if even Drive if you can't their house, graffiti it on their front door. Yeah, even <laughs> even right if you don't window with a note tied to it. <laughs> even if you don't have ten bucks, you can be a part of this. You can help this wonderful project. By telling other people and spreading the word as far and wide as you can. Exactly. That costs you nothing, but it may help the project go over the top and really sail through this. And we all really want to see get that on happen. track. Start <laughs> chugging down there. Oh, train puns. <laughs> That's right. And following a train track, we must be trying to catch a train. Oh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, Apollo and Q in the same film at the same time? Who doesn't want to see that? Absolutely. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking to James Kerwin and Kipley Brown. Uh, both, uh, man, I'm, I'm going to be editing the hell out of this show. <laughs> uh, Kipley, you play what character again? I play Lieutenant Barbara Smith on Star Trek Continues. And I play the character of Deputy Karen Blake in When the Train Stops. And James Kerwin, you are the director of When the Train Stops, and you have been writer and director for Star Trek Continues for much of its run. Yeah, that's correct. Thank you both for joining us. I have had a marvelous time. I say we because Susan Fox is usually with me, but I have had a marvelous time speaking with you. And I'm sure our audience is going to really love this one. Thanks again. <laughs> well, thank you for having us. Yeah. 
You have been listening to episode 184 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for November 11th, 2017. Our guests today have been director James Kerwin and actor Kipley Brown of the new upcoming science fiction suspense thriller called When the Train Stops. The production team is chock full of Star Trek Continues alumni, so you know it's going to be good. Visit whenthetrainstops.com to find the link to their Indiegogo campaign. They are almost a quarter of the way to their goal with a month left to go. So there's a lot of excitement about this project already. Once again, that's whenthetrainstops.com. Your host was Krypton Radio Station Manager Gene Turnbow. This episode will air again at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. That's Sunday, and two more times on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our own website at kryptonradio.com as podcasts. Krypton Radio is listener-supported sci-fi geek culture radio and the vast majority of our funding comes from listeners just like you if you liked this evening's program and you enjoy listening to krypton radio please visit patreon.com slash krypton radio we live or die on your contributions and we appreciate your support the event horizon title sequence was written and produced by gene turnbow the science officer was played by science fiction illustrator mark schurmeister the engineer was christian b mcguire the navigator was christine cherry and the captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster larry niven this program is copyright 2017 by krypton media group incorporated the event horizon on krypton radio it's sci-fi for your wi-fi